I schedule these episodes for Mondays because Mondays suck and you need to have something to look forward to. So here's episode 59 of the Brother Trucker Book Club podcast with your host Graham Bradley. Frick, what am I even going to call this one? We'll call it Inconceivable because that's pretty obvious. Ready and... Chances are that you have seen the movie The Princess Bride from 1987, directed by Rob Reiner, starring Carrie Elwes, Robin Wright Penn, uh, Wallace Shawn, um, what the heck is his name, the Spaniard, he's not actually Spaniard, Mandy Patinkin, he's, he's uh, Israeli, I think, but he plays the Spaniard part pretty well, Andre the Giant, um, Christopher Guest, I want to say, is the Six-Fingered Man, and uh, Chris Sarandon. Just a, a really great cast, perfect for the movie. Uh, easily became a, a cult classic as soon as it hit VHS. It didn't do too well in the theaters, but we'll talk about that when I mention the next book. Um, but the intro to pretty much any edition you find now will mention that 98% of people who are reading the book have seen the movie and, and discovered it that way. Because the book was a lot like the movie in the beginning where it didn't sell terribly well. But uh, it was pretty well loved, and eventually it made its way to Hollywood. They wanted to adapt it. Um, it, I wouldn't say that it ended up in development hell. It was kind of in development purgatory, and then it, it found its director. From there, it found its cast, and then after its theatrical run, it found its place in our hearts. Ooh, that was good. I just came up with that off the top of my head. Uh, so the premise is that uh, the main character, the, or the eponymous Princess Bride, is a girl who you know promised herself to the love of, his, love of her life, thought that he was dead, ended up getting promised to a prince who uh, was actually planning to kill her to start a war, and then uh, she gets rescued by a pirate, yada yada yada, and... Uh, comic hilarity ensues but it's it's played straight it's played very well in the movie the book largely follows that outline but there is so much more that you get out of the text that just wouldn't work on screen because of the the method of humor that the author uses um the book brands itself as what's called the good parts version as though there was another part or another version of the book out there that was just inflated with the kind of stuff that makes epic fantasy novels so dang long. And uh, the narrator frequently um, you know, in, interjects himself into the story to say, and here's where we cut out 70 pages of Princess Buttercup packing and unpacking her bags as she decides and then re-decides and then undecides to do decision X. Or, you know, here's all the nitty-gritty details of Wesley as he trains to become a sword fighter doing Y. You know, so it, but it's it's played for laughs, and there are so many of these narrative-based jokes that it would be hard to translate to the screen unless you also included a narrator in the movie. Uh, if you've read Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett, and then watched the uh, the Amazon series, which I think I'm still only halfway through, my wife just finished it. Um, they kind of got around that by having God narrate the story, and so you you get a lot of those jokes that that uh, were delivered in the book by the narrator, which you know films don't normally have, but they replaced it with other things. And, and the book had a very uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek feel to it, but it worked exceptionally well. I read it back in 2008, and I'm really itching to read it again. I just recently acquired a hardcover copy of it from my personal library because I found out that 
they recently came out with an illustrated version. I was like, great, that's perfect. Because I'd bought a cheap trade paperback of it, you know, over a decade ago. And after I read it, I was like, you know, this is, I need to own a nice copy of this for my library for heritage purposes. So yeah, I read it, I loved it, it blew my mind. And this was, of course, after having spent my entire life watching the movie with my family over and over again. Uh, but it's, of course, worth the read because you, you get a different brand of humor. The movie has its own humor that, that works for the screen. And the book has uh, an adjacent type of humor that only works in print. But the point is you, you get it, you get that experience. Uh, it, it plays on fairy tales. It plays on, I mean, all, all of the component parts that make it what it is are there. And yet they're, they're kind of turned on their heads at all the right moments just to make it a, a very unique an unparalleled book. Um, the movie Stardust was the first time that, you know, when that movie came out and I saw it in the theaters, it was the first time I saw a movie that I would say was worthy of comparison to Princess Bride. And even then it was a different type of movie, but it played alongside fairy tales and it had all the whimsy where the, the audience and the narrator were in on the whimsy, but the characters and the actors were playing it straight. And you get that with this book. So read The Princess Bride by William Goldman, especially if you've seen the movie and and just be prepared to to laugh at a whole new set of things that that uh you know fortunately the directors and the screenwriters didn't even attempt to put in they they, they did it their own way but it's there, there's humor left on the table we'll say and uh and plenty of heart besides now if you want some inception level crap this is where we go deeper into a book that gives us the behind the scenes of the making of the princess bride it is called As You Wish, and the icing on the cake is that this book was written by Carrie Elwes, who played Wesley in the film. Now, uh, when I heard about this book, and especially when I heard that the audiobook was narrated by Carrie Elwes, uh, with the exception of a few you know, interview parts with other actors like Wallace Shawn and Robin Wright Penn, uh, who also stepped into the audiobook to record their, their interview scenes, um, it just it, it added a whole new dimension to the magic of this movie knowing what went into making it how hard it was to get it off the ground and uh, all the hardships that they faced throughout the process of filming it um, obviously not all movies are, are made or filmed in this in the order that the scenes you know come onto the screen but this one uh, gives you a little bit of insight into what they filmed first uh, spoiler alert it was the uh, the fire swamp and uh, when you go and watch it again after reading how it was filmed, you get to see little cues of like, OK, here's where the actors weren't 100 percent dialed into the characters yet. And then you, you, know, you see the scenes that chronologically come in first in the movie, which were filmed about halfway through the process. So the, the actors were more used to playing those characters. There, there's little things here and there that Carrie Elwes gives away. Um, some of my favorite anecdotes from this book included the fact that uh, during a large portion of filming, Carrie Elwes had a broken foot. Uh, Andre the Giant loved to play with four-wheelers, and he had them on set. He had them, you know, on the background and stuff. And uh, while he was goofing off on one, Carrie was watching him, and he said, hey, you want to try this out? So Carrie Elwes hops on this four-wheeler, goofs up, crashes it, breaks his foot, tries to hide it, doesn't work. And uh, so they had to change the order of, of filming to hide the fact that uh, his foot was broken, especially because none of the fancy footwork fencing scenes would have worked uh, if his if his foot was still on the mend. So they had to film a lot more of uh, the scenes where Wesley was bedridden and so forth. 
uh, you get a lot more of a, of a personal insight into the life of Andre the Giant. Um, I didn't know that he was actually French. And uh, while you can tell that he's got an accent when you hear him speak, uh, his English wasn't that great. He wasn't, you know, conversing or putting a whole lot of himself into those lines. He had to memorize over and over and over again his lines in English and just kind of understand that people were going to say things at him. Okay, at this point you say this. He'd have to work on his inflection. He was listening to uh, to cassette tape recordings of his lines and memorizing it that way so that he could get the inflection right. If you were to watch him on screen, you could easily get the impression that this dude, you know, spoke fluent English and was just putting his own touch on it. It's like, no, this this dude was, you know, a layer removed from all of it and still delivered an exceptional performance. Uh, Rob Reiner, when he said that he wanted a giant to play the role of Fezzik, uh, I think Liam Neeson, his agent, got him uh, an audition for the part. And Liam Neeson came into the room to, to meet with Rob Reiner. And as the legend goes, Reiner said, no, I want a giant. Get me a giant and kicks this, you know, six, five Liam Neeson out of the room. And, uh, and you know, ultimately they landed this worldwide wrestling star, Andre the Giant. Um I myself am a, you know, was born in the 80s. I'm a 90s kid. I still remember the times when uh, Andre the Giant was on TV in the WWF before it was the WWE fighting with Hulk Hogan. He was like the guy to beat in the ring. That's what made him famous worldwide, beloved worldwide, was the fact that he was uh, a professional wrestler. This dude was seven feet tall and 500 pounds. He was a massive wall of a man. And uh, apparently he had, you know, metaphorically the big heart to go with it. Ultimately, it was the physical big heart that did him in. You know, you get to a point when you've got, uh, what the heck is the name of the term? Giantism, whatever the medical term is for it, where your your body just outgrows its ability to sustain itself. He was uh, crippled with back problems, obviously his whole life carrying that much weight around, even on that big of a frame. And uh, his painkiller of choice was alcohol. And this dude could drink by the bar like not by the bottle not by the keg this dude could shut a bar down and still walk home sober not sober walk home in a straight line carrie always has stories in this book of you know going out drinking with andre the giant and uh, how there were a couple of times when he did drink enough to do himself in and uh and all the the troubles and wind uh fascinating stories that come from that but Everybody who knew the man loved him, loved working with him, and just had had no shortage of good things to say about him. Uh, there were also interviews with Mandy Patinkin, the man who played Inigo Montoya, the avenging Spaniard. You find out that uh, that Patinkin and Elwes both trained under the tutelage of Olympic fencers to do the fencing scenes in in that movie. You know, not just the ones on the on the cliffs of insanity, but also the ones later when they fight in the castle. Um, you find out uh, about Robin Wright Penn's portrayal of Princess Buttercup and the fact that you know she's American, but her stepfather was from London, and so you know that's how she was able to do the English accent so convincingly. Um, Ned Vizzini, or not Ned Vizzini. Ned Vizzini was an author who committed suicide tragically a few years ago. Vizzini was the was just the Sicilian character played by Wallace Shawn who uh, was extremely insecure about the fact that he got that role because you know he read that the character was was Italian and they originally wanted Danny DeVito to play this short dumpy Italian guy and uh, instead they cast this short little bald you know stick his tongue out Jewish guy to play him and and uh, Wallace Shawn had massive insecurities about that but they they knew that yeah we want him and you know now 30 years later you can't watch that movie and imagine anybody else playing any of these roles you know, Mandy Patinkin is Inigo Montoya. Carrie Elwes is Wesley. Uh, Robin Wright is Princess Buttercup. And of course, Wallace Shawn, without a doubt, 
is Vizzini, the man saying inconceivable and laughing himself to death as the Iocane powder sits in. So you, 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 you hear it in their voices, especially when you get the audiobook, just how much all of these actors loved the characters that they played and loved each other. And, you know, labors of love in art is, is really what, what brings art to life and is what made it endearing to uh, all the people who made this story, uh, you know, for the big screen. Um, it's also fascinating to hear the business side of it, the marketing challenges behind, you know, how do we present this to an audience? How do we convince them to come see it? And how, you know, the VHS format becoming so popular in the late 80s really gave this thing its second lease on life and is what, you know, has cemented it as one of the greatest films, you know, not just of the 80s, but of the 20th century and going on into the 21st. So check out As You Wish by Carrie Elwes. And uh, if you've got the means to check out the audio version, I, I especially recommend that one. That's it for today. Check back Wednesday. We will have more literary goodness for you. Until then, drive safe. See you out there.